Welcome into another social distancing episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope here in my apartment in Columbus. Colin Haas Hill joining me from Cleveland, I believe. That's uh, correct. This will be this will be a setup for Real Pod Wednesdays for the foreseeable future because uh, we're we're all trying to stay at home and and stay safe and uh, not spread coronavirus. So uh, we'll be doing it remotely, but. Always good to hear Colin's voice, and uh, good to be here with you guys. As you know, we try to provide a little bit of distraction for you guys, and you know, hopefully, something to keep you entertained. And I know it's a crazy time for everybody, and we're all kind of adjusting to this new reality. And I mean, really, I'm sure, I'm sure you feel the same way, Colin. It's it's still an adjustment for us, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, I went home to. Um I'm right now at my uh, girlfriend's um, uh, parents' place right now, um, and I had just gone back to see the other side. Uh, they live in Lakewood. I went back to the east side um, to see my parents, and I think now since I left their house again, I'm not going to be allowed back for 14 days because my grandmother also lives there, and uh, I have to make sure that I don't get anything and, and come back, and yeah. We're just living in weird times right now. That's that's sort of my takeaway. Yeah, it's it's unlike anything we've ever lived through, and I think really for the vast majority of the American people, it's unlike anything we've ever lived through to have everything shut down and, and all these restrictions in place. Uh, it, it's a weird reality, and I think the the craziest part of it is the unknown. And you know, even even this week, you know, people have started to talk about is this going to affect football season in the fall and. You know, there's no spring football. There's no games going on right now. We're going to get to that in a little bit on the show. But the good news for our purposes is we actually do have a pretty good amount of stuff to talk about this week because there's quite a bit of roster movement over the past week. Last week, we brought on Zach Carpenter to talk about some of the high school recruits who will be joining Ohio State football in 2021. But this week, we have some people to talk about who are going to be joining the Ohio State football and basketball teams in 2020 and well assuming there's a season let's hope but uh we'll get to the basketball in a little bit but we'll start with football because we are a football primarily podcast here and the big news coming on Sunday afternoon that Trey Sermon former Oklahoma running back will be graduate transferring to Ohio State and and we had talked a little bit about this on the last on last episode we kind of saw this coming. I think really from the time he put his name in the grad in the transfer portal, I should say, I think this is what everybody expected that he was ultimately going to end up at Ohio State. He had a relationship with Tony Alford, dating back to when he was coming out of Sprayberry High School in Marietta, Georgia, in 2017. Ohio State signed J.K. Dobbins. Trey Sermon ended up at Oklahoma, but when he decided he was looking for a new fit. This offseason, Ohio State was the obvious candidate. And, you know, when you look at what he wants, which, you know, he wants an opportunity to compete for a starting job. He wasn't in line to be the starter at Oklahoma. He's He's been rotating there, was productive there. He ran for more than 2,000 yards, had 22 rushing touchdowns. He also caught 36 passes for 391 yards and three touchdowns in his three seasons at Oklahoma. But he was always in a rotation there. Kennedy Brooks had emerged as the top running back last year, and with with Sermon coming off of a knee injury, he was still 
kind of expected to be no better than a number two guy. So he's looking for an opportunity to, to be a starter somewhere. And Ohio State does not have a clear starter for 2020. They really needed a veteran running back who could come in and play this season. And so I think really for both parties, this is a perfect match. Yeah, I I, I do think um, he, he's interesting because um, – like when I think, and I and I wrote this earlier in the week. When I think about how Ohio State has used the the grad, or not, well, I guess grad transfers, but it, but just the transfer portal in general in the Ryan Day era, which, albeit, is just two off seasons. Um, I think you can at least see a consistent theme of of how they would want to use it um, right now and how they want to use it going forward. And it's that you know you don't want to go in there and have to fill a hole and get somebody you don't want to ever rely on it that cannot be your first second or third option um but when things get down to it if ohio state needs to go there if they want to find out who's in there if they want to pull somebody else from another team then i think they can make it work and i think that they can that this is a it's a solid band-aid um and I, I, it's hard to even call Jonah Jackson a Band-Aid because he was first team all Big Ten last year, and it's it literally impossible to call Justin Fields a Band-Aid because he's not a Band-Aid. Um, but when you think about how they pulled um, Jonah Jackson from Rutgers and, and Trey Sermon from Oklahoma, to me it's just you go back two, three, one, two, three years ago, and, and you think about the maybe recruiting misses, um, injuries that happened, transfers away from the program, and – this is a good way for, for Ohio State to sort of maneuver itself and get itself into a better position and make sure that, you know, this is going to be a one-year fix and going forward they're going to need the Steel Chambers, Master Teagues, Marcus Crowley's, Mayan Williams of the world to, to step up. But right now, I mean, he's a guy who I think we probably both are going to project as, as Ohio State's starting running back. And um, I know me personally – like I'm, I'm pretty confident that he's gonna be their their starter, and I don't know how that's gonna look. It's probably not gonna be the way that J.K. Dobbins was this past year. I just, I, 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 that's that would be hard for me to imagine, just given the the amount of others in the room, provided they're healthy. Um, but I think that he's a good guy um, to have to just rely on and, and know that he's a veteran. Um, he's been in big moments before. He's played on, uh, played on a on a on a big stage and and he wants this opportunity and and i to be honest like i just think this is sort of the perfect fit from both sides yeah i think the way ohio state has used the transfer portal over the past two years has really been exactly how they should be using it because all the guys that you mentioned they've used it to fill needs you know you look back to last year quarterback Dwayne haskins left they were not in a great spot at quarterback a guy as talented as Justin Fields hits the transfer portal, they could not pass that up. So it was a really obvious decision to go get Justin Fields. With Jonah Jackson, they made that move because Michael Jordan chose to leave Ohio State with another year of eligibility. If he had stayed, he would have been the left guard. They wouldn't have gone after Jonah Jackson. But when he left, that opened up that spot at left guard. They didn't have anybody they felt confident in to, to go in and play that spot you know, right away next last year. So they brought in Jonah Jackson. That ended up working out perfectly as well. But I, I think they're being purposely very selective about when they're going to go into the transfer portal. And I think, you know, that's exactly what they should be doing. Because 
if you just go and you bring in transfer after transfer, I, I think that affects the culture of your program because if it, it, it can send a message to the guys that you have that you know they're not good enough. But I, I think the situations in which they're going to get guys, it's where there's a clear need and a clear upgrade. And I think, and, yeah, go ahead. And I, and I would say the other aspect of that is you're not blocking things in the future. Like, Jonah Jackson and Trey Sermon are, are one-year fixes. And they're not, like, I, I'm not sure that I would even define Trey Sermon as a fix because he's just part of the fix. Ohio State's going to need other guys in that running back room. But but to add Trey Sermon and Jonah Jackson to the mix is saying, all right, in 2019 we need Jonah Jackson, but going forward we can have all the rest of you guys uh, compete and, and, and win a starting job. And in 2020, we need Trey Sermon. And then going forward, it'll be the, the room of Master Teague, Steel Chambers, um, Marcus Crowley, and, and Mayan Williams. And I think that that also matters to your point that they're not just bringing in guys because they want the guys currently on the roster to feel threatened. They're bringing in guys who they see an immediate hole that they need to fill for one year and they're going out and getting guys who, who can fill it. And I don't think Trey Sermon is, is J.K. Dobbins, but I also think that he has a chance to be really solid. And, and and there is a little bit of unknown about maybe just how much untapped potential he has. Yeah, and I think that's a good point about it just being part of a fix. That's, that does make it a little different. Justin Fields and Jonah Jackson, they both play positions that you really only have one guy playing the entire game. But mm-hmm. with Trey Sermon... That doesn't keep other running backs from getting on the field, and and I agree. I don't, I don't think this is going to be a J.K. Dobbins situation from last year where Sermon's taking all the carries. I, I do agree that I think he'll be the starter, but I think at least one other running back is going to rotate with him. And, and of course, the other reason why they went and got Trey Sermon, I, I don't know if they would have still gone for him if, if Master Teague and Marcus Crowley were healthy, but the reality is they're not right now. And so they really needed to bring in another running back to, to bolster that room. And, you know, if, if, if those guys are healthy, whenever Ohio State is back on the practice field, those guys are going to get a chance to compete. But, you know, I think the reality is Master Teague suffering an Achilles injury in March there's probably a good chance he's not going to be ready for the start of the season. Marcus Crowley, we really don't know exactly what his status is at this point. So they they really couldn't go in with just the guys they had healthy. They, that was not a good position to be in. All, additionally, all those guys are sophomores at oldest. So, so they're still going to be counted on in the future. This is not, you're not bringing in a Trey Sermon and, and saying, okay, this means that this running back is never going to play. All those guys are still going to have opportunities, but the reality is they were in need of another guy for this year, and I, I do think Trey Sermon can be an upgrade for this year. Just looking at you know his film from the past few years, I, I did a film study for 11 Warriors that ran on Tuesday, if you want to check that out, and just looking at some of his highlights from his career, and you know, I think he's a well-rounded guy. He's, if you look at him, he's he's six zero, uh, two two twenty one was what he was listed at at Oklahoma. So fairly similar in size to an Ezekiel Elliott. He he doesn't have the same kind of speed and athleticism as Ezekiel Elliott. He's not he's not at that level. But the things that really stood out to me watching him, he's got really good balance running through contact. He he's got some wiggle to him, which I think I think that's an area where he can be a potential upgrade over a Master Teague. And, and that Master Teague is such a straight line runner. I, I, I think Master Teague's probably a little bit more explosive, 
but I think Sermon offers a little bit more in terms of uh, versatility and the ability to do different things while also being a big strong back, while also being a guy who can lower his shoulders, stiff arm his way through defenders. And then, you know, you, you look at what he did in Oklahoma's offense. He, he caught the ball well. He looks like he's got really natural hands. And he had, to, he had to block a lot in that offense, too, because he was playing next to dual threat quarterbacks, where that was Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield. So he's used to playing alongside the kind of quarterback he's going to be playing next to uh, in 2020 in Justin Fields. So, so he can pass block. He can run block as needed. I think all those things are important qualities. And so he's somebody that I, I can definitely see coming in and winning the starting job and having a really good year for Ohio State. I'm I'm not saying he's going to be J.K. Dobbins or Ezekiel Elliott because those are huge shoes to fill, but I think as the lead back in a rotation with whether it's Teague if he's healthy or Crowley or Steel Chambers, whoever it might be, I, I think he can really make that rotation better in 2020 because of his experience and because of a well-rounded skill set that he has. At this point, um, like you personally, do you have any feel of who the other running back or running backs in the backfield getting meaningful carries will be? That's such a difficult question to answer, and I was going to ask you the same thing for what you thought because the big the big variable there is the injuries. You know, I think if Master Teague is fully healthy, I think he would be the front runner to be the number two back because he was last year. He, you know, he ran for almost 800 yards last year as the number two back. So, you know, he's a guy who's proven he he can be successful at this level, and, and I would think he'd be the front runner if he's healthy. But that's such a huge if at this point. There's so much uncertainty there, but I think that definitely opens the door for Marcus Crowley and Steel Chambers. My feeling was because Crowley wasn't going to be able to practice this spring, that I thought Steel Chambers might have the leg up on Crowley. But because there is no spring practice, if Marcus Crowley is healthy in time for whenever they do get back on the practice field, then I think that evens the playing field between them. And so it's hard for me to even say, you know, which one of those guys I think would be a front runner between those two because they're both young guys who really haven't played a lot and really haven't even practiced that much. So, you know, I think either one of those guys could easily end up being the number two back. You know, I think if Teague's healthy, he'd be the lead guy. But, you know, I, 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 my feeling would be coming off an Achilles injury in six months he's probably not going to be back to full speed in time for September. And I think if he's not up to full speed, then I think one of those other guys is probably going to be your better option. Yeah, I agree with, with largely with what you say. I, I also just, I generally, I, I sort of always like the idea of having, if you're going to roll with, with two running backs or if there's going to be a backup who gets a, a decent amount of carries, I do I do generally think it's a good idea to, to sort of vary it up and not have the, the, the guy behind be basically a carbon copy of the, of the starting running back. And that's why I do think a Master Teague, provided he's healthy, would be pretty interesting there. Now, that's a big caveat just because it's impossible to know right now what uh, where where he's going to be because, I mean, shoot, we're over here trying to figure out when the season's <laughs> going to start and whether, whether there's going to be any time differences for, um, for when, um, when Ohio State's going to be able to begin preseason camp. So... 
I think that's basically impossible to, to guess, but he's an interesting guy. And the other guy, I mean, are we allowed to say the words Demario McCall on this podcast? We're allowed to say a word. I still don't know exactly what all this means for him. I My guess would be that this means he's probably going to stay at slot receiver. But, but then you, if C.J. Saunders comes back, then all of a sudden they've got four or five slot receivers. Right. And then you ha- can't – it's hard to figure out if, if Garrett Wilson stays at slot how DeMario gets on the field. And to me, that's where all of a sudden the DeMario third down, uh, maybe receiving running back package, maybe has a little bit of legs. Um, and, and you heard Ryan Day in the spring sort of bring up the fact that last year they had a bit of a plan for how to use DeMario, and then you had K.J. Hill, who sort of, um, he didn't necessarily need a, a true backup at the H, and they liked going with, with two tight end sets, and then you also had J.K. Dobbins, and you didn't immediately need, you, you didn't need to, to swap him out with anybody with any degree of regularity, and sort of their plans for, for any third down or, or whatnot packages for DeMario McCall fell by the fell by the side, and I do think that, like, this is I mean, how many times can we say that this is a chance for Demario McCall and be wrong, but like this is another one. This is an area where I do think I, I do I just think there's an I think that Demario will have a role in this offense bigger than, than what he's had before. And I realize that I've said that before and been wrong, but I sorta of believe that right now. Yeah, I still think there's some potential value in that third down role because you know, while I did say I, I think I think Sermon offers some value in the pass game. I think he's probably better than Master Teague in that regard. Demario does offer a different skill set in terms of being a more explosive athlete, you know, quicker, agile guy who could probably add even more as a, as a receiving threat. I, I do think that's certainly a possibility and one that I think, whether they are or not, I think Ohio State should be exploring it because I think he does offer something different at that position than all the other guys who are true running backs. So I I do think they should explore it. There's just so much unknown right now because they only had one week of spring practice, so we didn't get to see how things would have developed over the course of a spring. And now, whenever they do get back on the field, there's going to be a lot less time to experiment because you're going to have to make up for all this lost time. So when you think about how Trey Sermon impacts 2020, obviously he does it to a great degree. But this doesn't really have an effect on on the 2021 class, does it? No, it really shouldn't at all because he only has one year remaining of eligibility. So in terms of bringing guys in in 2021, this, this shouldn't stop anybody from committing. And, you know, quite quite truly, they got a commitment last week from Evan Pryor. Uh, our Zach Carpenter talked to Travion Henderson earlier this week and, and wrote a hurry up on Monday about him that you can find on the website. And based on what Travion told Zach and based on everything we've been hearing about Travion, it certainly sounds like a commitment from him could be coming sooner than later. So we talked about it a little bit last week. We can talk about it more again. You, you know, we have we have criticized Tony Alford some for the misses that he's had on the recruiting trail the past couple years. But he's got some serious momentum on his side right now. And if if he can if he can in the span of a few weeks 
land Evan Pryor, Trey Sermon, and Travion Henderson, that would be a damn good run of a recruiting trail for Tony Alford. It would. And like it's worth noting that the reason why you have to bring in Trey Sermon is because of Tony Alford's misses over the last couple of years, and who knows if Bijan Robinson was in the class, maybe you can get him. But to me, that sort of goes back to the point that you've got to just, it, it, even if you don't end up with Bijan Robinson or Kendall Milton or another um, high four star or five star back, like that's why Ohio State always has to be in these conversations and, and try to swing for the fences and, and get those guys because, I mean, they're sitting here today after Tony Alford has got just gotten ripped apart by by certain parts of the fan base for the past year or two and all of a sudden they pull in Trey Sermon at seemingly the last minute and it's going to be and it seems at least like it's going to be okay in 2020 and then the 2021 class is coming together and to me that just sort of goes back to like yes he missed yes he deserved criticism there but man like Ohio State is just really good at least the last couple of years of Sort of falling into into these guys, um, and it and it's and it's and it's certainly not out of their control. They're they're putting themselves in this position, but when they get in this position, they're really good at getting themselves maybe a one year band aid essentially. And again, worth reiterating that the reason why Trey Sermon is a Buckeye right now is because Tony Alford built a relationship with him years ago yep. when he was a recruit out of high school. I mean, I. I my impression would be that the moment Trey Sermon put his name in the transfer portal, he was hoping to get a call from Tony Offord because he wanted to play at Ohio State. So, you know, this this was not, I and mean, I think this is probably different even in the situations last year where, you know, this was a guy that, you know, when, when as soon as he was in the portal, the ball was already rolling for him to go to Ohio State because Tony Offord already had that relationship built. You know, I think if, there's a really good chance that if J.K. Dobbins hadn't committed to Ohio State in 2017, that Trey Sermon would have ended up at Ohio State in the first place. So this is a school that he wanted to play at, and because Tony Alford did a good job recruiting him then, even though he didn't actually land him then, that's the reason why they're able to land him now. And, and, it, and it goes to show the importance of building those relationships with recruiting, and that's why... You hear stuff like last year when Bijan Robinson flipped to Texas that Tony Alford's still talking to him because you just never know how things might change down the line and where a guy who you missed out on in recruiting suddenly might become available again. We'll have that conversation once we get to the hoops portion of this podcast. <laughs> very, very, very true. Um, but you wanted, there was a question that we got, I think, from Hovenot about sort of the status of the roster. Yes, yeah. So he wanted to ask us about, you know, just the scholarship numbers. Uh, I think he and, and other people, I think, have been confused about this. And you know, that might be partially on me because maybe I haven't necessarily written it clearly enough in some of the articles about this. But here's what I, we could say right now. Ohio State right now as at 87 scholarships for 2020 that includes cj saunders who hasn't heard back yet from the ncaa on whether he'll get a six-year eligibility as far as we know cj saunders is supposed to hear back from the ncaa in april now whether everything that's going on in the world could slow that process down i don't know about that i would hope for his sake that he will get an answer in april because he's already been waiting 
for quite some time, and so I, I think it's only fair to him that he gets that answer sooner than later. But I don't know about that beyond the last time we talked to Ryan Day prior to recording this podcast that the expectation was that he was going to get a six-year or, or but he was going to find out whether he will get a six-year eligibility in April. So if he does, Ohio State will be two over, which means they're going to need two players to leave the program between now and the start of the season. If he doesn't, then they would then they would be down to 86, and they would be one over. Uh, I, I know there's some people out there who are saying that Ohio State has 88 scholarships for 2020. That's not true. Uh, that's because some of those projections are including Jake Seibert, the kicker from Cincinnati, but he's expected to gray shirt. So he's not going to be on scholarship this year unless one opens up. Uh, and the same is true for, I, I've had questions about whether the long snapper will get a scholarship or any of the other walk-ons. As of now, there's no scholarships available for those guys. So uh, as of now, nobody else, uh, unless they go back into the transfer portal, which I don't think anything is imminent at this point, as of now, they're not giving out any more scholarships for 2020. They are going to need a couple guys to leave the program. Not going to speculate on who those guys are. I would imagine that you know Ohio State may have an idea that a couple guys could look elsewhere. The thing I think is really interesting about that, though, is you know I, I have to wonder how guys who might have been thinking about transferring are going to approach this unknown situation because I would imagine there were a few guys who were probably looking at this spring wanting to see where they stood on the depth chart to then make their decisions after spring. And now that they don't get that opportunity, there might be some guys who have to make a tough decision of, okay, do I wait this out and see where I'm at in preseason camp when it might be too late to transfer? Or do I transfer somewhere now not knowing what my opportunity might be come the fall? Plus, I mean, there's the whole idea of whether fall semesters at colleges are even going to be normal this year. So there's a lot of different variables there that go into that. One way or another, Ohio State uh, is going to need a couple guys to leave, but these things usually work themselves out. They do. It's... um... It is interesting not going through spring practice because I just think maybe conversations are made a little bit harder. I think when you get a chance to go through spring ball, um, maybe some people think, well, this is my year. This is my year. I'm going to make a rise on the depth chart. And when that doesn't happen, maybe that's easier to see the writing on the wall. Um, But I think maybe from a coach's mind, you sort of have an idea going into the spring, going into the offseason, what might happen and who might end up going elsewhere. So... I do think maybe from their perspective, um, from Ohio State's perspective, that won't change a ton. I just think maybe conversations are made a little bit harder. Yeah, and and there's just so many different variables right now that this coaching staff, these players have to deal with that are so unusual because, you know, know, we mentioned it, you know, Ohio State has not yet officially canceled spring practice, but, but... we can go ahead and assume there's not yeah. going to be a resumption of spring practice. It's hilarious uh, that it hasn't been canceled yet. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just going to wait for the Big Ten to officially shut it down, but there's not going to be spring practice. It's it's going to be 
a significant amount of time I would anticipate before any organized team activities are going to be able to resume. It's 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 hard to guess, even guess at when they might resume at this point because there's just so many unknowns with this whole situation, but the challenge is for players, for coaches is how do you prepare for a season when there's multiple challenges. First of all, all the players are at home right now, so they don't have the use of Ohio State facilities. In most places around the country, gyms and all of that are closed too, so players don't necessarily have the proper resources that they need to even work out the way that they typically would, and you know coaches aren't able to be there over their shoulder supervising guys working out so that's the first challenge is just staying in shape just training for a potential season this fall without being able to go through your typical routine use your typical resources and then you know the second question of course just being when when is this all going to resume i mean i cert we certainly hope there's going to be a football season this fall we certainly hope that there will be enough progress in eradicating this disease that you know players can get on campus at some point this summer and go through a full preseason camp and and go through some conditioning work before the season starts but right now all of that is up in the air so it really creates a, a set of challenges that is brand new for everybody and you know, to be to be honest, it, 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 I think it's got to be a really difficult time if you're Ryan Day, if you're Mickey Marotti, trying to figure out how you're going to get this t- get your team through this situation. Yeah, I, it's tough too because, like, I it, it's just going to be hard for me to imagine that the NCAA is going to have players not go through, not complete spring practice, then be away for a good portion of the summer, come back and just go straight into fall camp, a normal fall camp, and then the season. Like, one, who knows, maybe the virus messes that entire plan up and things have to be pushed back. But two, if hypothetically that can happen, I wonder how not having spring practice will affect certain players. Because, I mean, like I do think you have to wonder as a coach – there, there are guys who come from certain backgrounds generally um, where you know they don't have the resources to just hire a personal trainer and work out with them every single morning and um, get their get their workouts in that way. Um, and I think a lot of those people too, maybe they go to a gym, gyms are closed. So there's just a lot of factors working against, players from getting themselves into peak physical condition so i do wonder like how is the ncaa going to make it so that this is a safe thing for for them to do and um and i and i i presume that at least some at some portion of july they you'd have to imagine the ncaa would love to have players be able to at least go through some sort of a different team workout almost spring practice-esque um but before fall camp uh preseason camp begins and i just since since it's impossible to 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 predict how 
sort of this disease, the the containment of this disease um, or this virus is is going to um, how successful it's going to be. I, I just think it's hard to predict how that'll happen. So I think as a as a as a player and as a coach, you essentially just have to treat this as if you're going to go to go through normal preseason camp and you just got to get yourself in the best physical condition you can even though in some respects that's just a little bit unrealistic for 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 some people I think yeah I think truly I think you know if we if we're if we were looking at a situation where you know players couldn't get up back on campus till late July and you know they had to go right into preseason camp I think if you threw players right into preseason practices or right into playing games, I think that'd be downright irresponsible. To be honest, I think yeah. I think injuries would skyrocket if you did that Completely because I think agree. I, I think there absolutely has to be some kind of acclimation period once players get back on campus for that. And and you know, and I would think uh, you know Ryan Day is actually. Uh, talking supposed to talk of the media on Wednesday on a teleconference, so you know maybe we'll get a little clarity on this from him and what his thoughts are on this. But you know, I would think coaches would want to ensure that whenever their players are back on campus, you know, there's going to be a period for them just to go through conditioning work and just to you know work with work with Mickey Marotti and, and work with the strength and conditioning staff just to ramp back up. And get into you know make sure everybody's in football shape, and I you know I think that's the variable you know I've seen. I think it was Mac Brown said on Monday that you know he he's pushing for there to be a period of maybe ten additional practices in the summer to make up for the loss of spring practices. But the the the, the problem with that is we don't know when players are going to be allowed to go back on campuses. So for that to be able to happen you know, this has to be over in a couple months. You know, if, if if players are back on campus by the start of June and they're able to go through workouts and camps at the start of June, then that might work. If players are getting back on campus in, you know, the middle of July, you, there's not going to be time for that. So, And there needs yeah. to be a little bit of planning, too. It's not like the NCAA in late June can just be like, all right, in a week, we're going to have this conditioning week uh, that every team can get seven days. That... that you need some sort of planning, and that's why, like, at some point in the next month or two, I just think it's going to be important for for people to sit back and think about, all right, how, like, is this, is it feasible that um, we're that that college football is going to be able to go on with its normal schedule? I just think right now, like, it's not that I'm pessimistic. It's not that I'm even really like really concerned that I don't know that that would be the right word. It's just like, I sort of have an eye on the, the curve (laughs) that, that right now is rising and not flattening. Like if that curve flattens to a certain degree, then maybe Ohio state and, and other, and, and other football programs around the country, maybe you get a little bit more confident that, that college football can happen as, as usual. But right now it's just, it's, to me, it's just impossible to predict whether there's like how how this is all going to shake out three or four months from now. When, if you asked me a month ago whether the whether it would be reasonable if the NCAA tournament got canceled, I would call you crazy. Yeah, I think, like you said, I think the NCAA and and all of these football coaching staffs, 
you need to be planning for a multitude of scenarios right now. You you need you you do need to plan right now as if you're going to have a season in September on your normal schedule. Right now you have to prepare that way because you know that could absolutely happen. That's what we still hope will happen. And so you you've got to you've got to find ways to prepare on your usual off-season timetable even though you don't have spring practices, you don't have the time with the players you typically would. So you've got to prepare for that right now, but you definitely also have to have scenarios in the back of your mind for, okay, what if this happens? What if this happens? There's so much unknown, but like you said, we can't wait for those unknowns to go away. Well, I shouldn't say we, but the NCAA can't wait for these unknowns to go away to to figure out the best plan they they've got us be planning now they've got to be putting backup plans in place now to figure out what is the different scenarios we can we can put into place for you know a football season to still happen even if it can't happen on a normal schedule because i think i think that's you know a possibility here i mean i think that's a possibility here that needs to be considered and 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 viewed as a possibility is you know I I, I, I I don't think it should be viewed as an all or nothing it shouldn't be viewed as well we either have to have a full normal football season or it's off the table I, I think there's scenarios that potentially exist here where there has to be a modified football season and how that would work I don't know that's that's what the NCAA has to figure out over the next few months but I think as a coach right now, you have to be prepared for anything. And I think as a player, you have to do whatever you possibly can to keep yourself in the best shape, in the best frame of mind possible. You know, we were at one of the questions we were asked this week by Grand Lake Salina was any insights on what the players are actually doing at the moment. And I think the reality is there's probably no one size fits all answer to that because like Colin mentioned, these guys come from different backgrounds. They might have different resources available for them. You know, some of these guys might have, you know, weight rooms in their house. Some of these guys might not have anything close to that. And beyond just resources, a lot of this is also going to come down to self-motivation because coaches can't force guys to work out right now. They can certainly encourage it. And I'm sure, I'm sure Mickey Marotti has sent workouts home to all the different players. I'm sure all the position coaches are checking in on their players, I would assume, every day. But you're not there. You can't force these guys to work out. So ultimately, if there's a football season this fall, the guys who are going to be most prepared are are the guys who are the most self-motivated and the guys who are doing whatever they possibly can to try to keep themselves in shape, whether that's working out, whether that's eating right. There's just so many different things that things the coaching staff would be able to help them with on an in-person daily basis that they're no longer able to. And a lot of this is going to come down to guys' maturity and guys' discipline in terms of doing what they need to do on their own until the team is able to reconvene. Yeah, and some of it's just really, really difficult. I, I do think you sort of hit the nail on the head when you said that things are um, things are just different for each person. So, like... I thought it was interesting. Zach Harrison's mom posted a photo on Twitter of him just like running, running stairs at, I don't know. It looked like a local public park or something. And then there was another room that looked like maybe it was 
maybe it was in their garage or, or some room in the house that had like tarped down that had a few dumbbells there that presumably Zach Harrison was, was working with. And then like, I was talking with the mother of a player this week and she was saying how um, like her son is working with a, a, a trainer, um, a personal trainer and uh, the trainer's training. Uh, he's, he's working with uh, an Ohio State player and another another player who uh, plays for another D1 team. Um, I think there. Are, uh, I think Justin Fields was pictured throwing with uh, his his, his uh, one of his quarterback trainers, Ron Veal. Yep. Um, uh, throwing to some wide receivers. I just think generally there is. I, there's just really no one way that players have to do this it's it's fascinating too because like you're not going to go and work out as a group like you like because of what's happening in the world right now you also generally have to work out either by yourself or just with like one or two others like a personal trainer or one other person or something like that um so i think that affects things too and and obviously like resources affect things if you can't if you're able to afford a personal trainer and if you're able um if if you're able to if you have a personal gym or something in your some room in your house or you have weights or or really anything like i think that that matters too um i um i know the the players are are talking to the um coaches on a daily basis like you said and the and the strength staff as well um i I know there was one player who like this might I, i presume it's not just him but has to send a photo of the of, of a scale to the strength staff every single day just to make sure they're staying on weight like it's stuff like that that is a lot easier to do in person than it is when you're hundreds of miles away but just because that's what you've got to do right now is sort of what ohio state's dealing with yeah and, and i think you know a couple other things that are probably worth mentioning here and you know first of all you know, we got we got to remember too that even though they're not on campus, these guys they are still taking classes, so they've got to adapt to that as well. Taking online classes, uh, that of course was a big brouhaha in the fall about how Justin Fields most of his classes were online. So for some guys, this might not be much of an adjustment, but for other guys, it certainly is. So uh, that that's something that they've got to adapt to is you know taking classes online and and finishing out their semester. You know that's something they still got to do, and then. You know, I mean, obviously, the, the, the thing we don't want to lose sight of that's paramount in all this is the most important thing is keeping guys healthy because this is, you know, this is a pandemic that can affect anybody. So the most important thing is making sure that guys stay healthy, do what they're supposed to do. You know, the one thing you don't want guys, as much as you want guys working out and you want guys doing whatever they can to prepare themselves for football season. You don't want the, you don't want guys to put themselves in harm's way just just to do that. So that makes it all such a complex situation in terms of you know, I I, I have no doubt that, you know, most of these guys are probably doing probably doing what they're supposed to be doing and you know, trying to do whatever they can to keep themselves in shape. And, you know, certainly the position coaches and, and strength coaches play a big part in continuing to hold those guys accountable, even though they can't see them in person. But there's a lot of different variables here for, for guys to deal with. And if you're the coaches, you have to understand that. And I don't doubt that they do. But you, I think, you know, that's a thing you've got to understand here as a coach is that 
because these guys don't have the resources they typically would to work with, you know, you, you've got to be understanding of that as a coach too, and you have to potentially be prepared to adapt what you're suggesting to each coach just based on the resources they might have available to them. You want to talk some hoops, Dan? Yeah, I think we should because Trey Sermon was not the only big graduate transfer for an Ohio State sports team this week. Ohio State basketball landed a big graduate transfer on Saturday night, late at night on SportsCenter. Seth Towns, who has spent the past four years at Harvard, transferring to Ohio State. For those who don't know about Seth Towns, he's a Columbus native, went to Northland High School, same high school as Jared Sullinger and Trey Burke, to name a couple uh, notable basketball players. He was the 2017-18 Ivy League Player of the Year at Harvard, averaged 16 points, 5.7 rebounds in his sophomore season. However, missed the last two years with a knee injury. So coming off a knee injury that set him back, leave some unknowns about the player he'll be when he comes back. But the good news for Ohio State there is he is expected to receive a six-year of eligibility, therefore should have two remaining seasons of eligibility. And as a graduate transfer, which, again, worth noting, the man is graduating with a degree from Harvard, which should not be understated in any way, is now going to come to Ohio State and have the potential to play for a school that he dreamed of playing of as a kid for two years. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because when his first when when his name first sort of popped out, to me the fit wasn't immediately obvious. It wasn't like all right, well Ohio State is a clear need uh, at Ford, and he can fill that. I think Ford generally was going to be maybe one of their better positions. And now with him in the mix, all of a sudden, this is, this is sort of their clear strength, is you look across the line and you think, all right, C.J. Walker at the moment is the only point guard on the roster. They don't really have a true center on the team. I think Ibrahim Diallo can, can maybe develop into that, but I'm not expecting him to be a guy who's um, going to be competing for a starting role as a sophomore. Um, I think generally the, the, the strength of Ohio State in 2020-21 is going to be the the wings and forwards and sort of Ohio State moving into the modern age of basketball and being switchable, being uh, a good shooting team, being able to sort of score in, in many different areas. And I just, I, I, I think he fits in when you're trying to sort of play that way, when when you're trying to have a lot of guys who are between 6'5 and 6'8 who are pretty solid athletes, but also skilled and older and they've been around um this is this is the, sort of the team that this is this is a team that i think chris holman's really gonna like to coach and, and i think he's gonna i think this is a team that um sort of the roster wise when you think of how veteran it is and how versatile it is it's gonna give him a lot of a lot of ways to maneuver how this all fits together well if you look back at chris holman's teams at butler i think that's the way a lot of his teams there were made up of not necessarily having you know a ton of size, but having you know some switchable guys, uh, quite a bit of versatility on those teams. And you know you you hinted at it earlier when we were talking about Tony Alford. You, this is a reason why Ohio State landed Seth Towns as well because Chris Holtman had started building that relationship 
with Seth when he was in high school. Butler was actually another school that, that Seth considered before he ultimately chose to go to Harvard. And then when you combine that relationship with the fact that Towns is a Columbus kid, I mean, he's had a painting on his wall at his childhood home since he was two years old of him in an Ohio State uniform. So, you know, this is a... I've Certainly going to Harvard was a dream come true for Seth Towns, and I don't think he has any regrets about going that route. But now this is another dream come true for him to get this opportunity to, to play for the Scarlet and Gray. Yeah, it's worth noting, too, when, when you say that Butler was another team he considered, it actually goes a little bit deeper than that. Butler was the runner-up to Harvard. It wasn't Ohio State. Even though Ohio State had offered him, it was, it was Butler. And Chris Holtman had built that relationship um, to, to, to that point. But obviously, he decided he couldn't turn down a Harvard education, and no one's ever going to blame him for that. Um, but it is funny how it works out where – Four years later, Chris Holman's at Ohio State, and all of a sudden he he's on the he's on the market for for a new school, and it is sort of just a match um, for both parties right now. I I will say so, like if like a quick rundown of like why Seth Towns is exciting for Ohio State is he's just sort of a pure scorer in a way that um, I think maybe Ohio State has lacked a little bit from that forward position, um, and that he's. He's a 40-plus percent shooter from the three-point line, but he's also able to get his points um, sort of off the bounce um, and, and finding openings with, with his jump shot, which is, I think that's an area where Ohio State really didn't have anyone, um, especially at Ford, who, who could do that. Um, that's an area that, that they were weak in um, last year, and I think he, he can make up, with, make up for that. I'm fascinated with his fit with Justice Suing um, because – they're basically the exact same height and weight. They're both right around 6'7", 220. But Seth Towns is the shooter there, and Justice Suing is, is a guy who can put it on the deck and get to the, get to the basket and get to the free throw line. And I just think you have those two guys um, on the court. That's a, that, that can, that's a pretty tantalizing duo right there, provided they're healthy, which I think is worth noting because Justice Suing has an injury that's going to keep him out until at some point this summer, and, and Seth also has an injury that's going to keep him out either until somewhere around June or, June or July, and then um, Ohio State certainly thinks that he will be perfectly fine health-wise to, to start the start next season um, healthy. Assuming they're both healthy, do you think they will both start next season? No, no. I would say, if you ask me today what the starting lineup will be, um, I would say C.J. Walker's at the point. Um, Kyle Young is at effectively center um, in place of Caleb Wesson, who hasn't declared for the draft yet, but I fully anticipate that he won't be back next season. And then E.J. Liddell at power forward. And then I think things get a little interesting because there's sort of there's four guys there, who, and you can make a case really for all four of them, and it's Luther Muhammad, Dwayne Washington, Seth Towns, and Justice Suing, and just the way that I when when you talk to people within the program over the past year about Justice Suing, like they just really like him. So I think that maybe Justice Suing starts, and I would I. It's hard to pick between Dwayne or Luther, um, especially right now, but I guess I would probably go with Luther Muhammad at the moment for defensive purposes um, alone. But 
I mean, that's a strong seven-man rotation right there, and that's even discounting the fact that you're going to get Musa Jallo back. Justin Arns could maybe work his way into the rotation. Ibrahim Diallo will be there. You have a couple freshmen coming in. Um, that's a strong team right there. And and the one thing I will say, though, too, is that I think it's it's hard it's hard to really keep up with basketball on a day-to-day basis and in the offseason, but... Like, every so often, it'll be interesting to check in with where guys are in their rehabs because I think that that's going to be as important as anything in the offseason for the basketball team because now you bring in Seth Towns, who hasn't played basketball since March of 2018 and is still rehabbing from a surgery he had just a couple months ago. Um, you have Justice Suing, who's recovering from a surgery he had a couple months ago. Musa Jalla doing the exact same thing. You have Kyle Young, um, who was hurt at the end of the season. Um, and you have Luther Muhammad, whose shoulder was, he was playing through a, a shoulder injury for a good portion of the year. Um, and as early as possible, Ohio State's going to want to get them back. But um, just given a lot of those guys' entry pass, they're going to want to at least play it somewhat safe. And let's not forget, these guys have to go through the same challenges the football players have to go through right now. So yep. instead of rehabbing with you know team doctors and athletic trainers on campus and being able to work out at the team facilities, they're in the same situation right now where – you know, they've got to work out on their own. They've got to rehab on their own. You know, they could have different resources. So, you know, the basketball team, they've got a little bit more time because their season, you know, doesn't start until November. But, you know, even those guys in terms of off-season workouts, this is going to affect them as well. Yeah, no, that's definitely the case. Um, I mean, Seth is interesting for for many, many reasons. But his, his injury history is... Um, and, and, and the thing is, it's really one main injury, and, and that's a cartilage tear in his, in his knee. Um, but the fact that it's kept him out for the last two years um, is at least a little, it's definitely a little bit worrisome to Ohio State. But at the same time, it's, it's not like they have to think a lot to, to, to wonder whether they should bring back Seth Towns. Like, yeah, he's, he's sort of an obvious fit. Um, for for this program and and what Chris Holman wants to wants to build. You mentioned that Caleb Wesson most likely is going to enter the NBA draft. He has not announced a decision yet. Don't know exactly when it's coming, but I think the expectation is that he's probably going to go to the NBA. Ohio State has also lost two other players in DJ Carton and Alonzo Gaffney, who have both chosen to leave the program. And you think back to a year ago when when we were talking about the 2019 Ohio State basketball recruiting class and, and how hyped that class was, and now that class already down to just two players in EJ Liddell and Ibrahima Diallo. Yeah, it is a little bit of a fall from grace for that class. Um, I think it's... It, Though I think the case of Alonzo Gaffney and, and DJ Carton should should definitely be separated. Um, I just think that they're two very different reasons for for leaving Ohio State. Um, DJ's is just it's just unfortunate for for all parties involved. I know DJ obviously before he came to Ohio State was really excited to be a Buckeye, had great dreams of of becoming the next guy to, to wear scarlet and gray and go through Ohio State and end up in the NBA. And I think at times you saw, you, I mean, especially in his last couple games, you just saw flashes of like, all right, if it, this guy is sort of on the road to putting it together. And I think you look at what EJ Liddell did late in the season and you think, like, if, if DJ was in a better spot mentally, 
Um, could he have had that kind of late season rise? And I, I certainly think he could have. Um, unfortunately for Ohio State, um, obviously he's he's battling um, mental issues uh, um, that, from all accounts that I've heard, are, are serious um, and should be taken with, with a high degree of, of seriousness. And, and Ohio State did that. And, you know, there was always a thought that, you know, when he took his late when he took his leave of absence in late January that you know maybe he wouldn't come back but but Ohio State always publicly and and privately um, I mean it seemed like they showed as much support as, as they could and ultimately you know he moved on and I don't I don't know Dan was that was that a surprise to you when it happened No no I think you know any time a player leaves the team for an extended period of time that you know, you have to recognize if that's a possibility. You know, given that it was a mental health situation, I, I didn't want to speculate one way or the other on any of that because uh, I think everything you said is true. I think Ohio State uh, has been very supportive of DJ Carton. I think they handled that situation the best way they possibly could. And it, and it is unfortunate that it, that it turned out this way, but... You know, I, I, I think, you know, these things these things happen. I think it's a good reminder to all of us that these athletes are human. And I think I, I think at a time like this, it's as important as ever for us to remember that. And I mean, I, I, I bring that up because, you know, DJ made a comment on Twitter last week, you know, a few hours after he announced his transfer about, you know, deleting social media because people were being so harsh to him. And... Just, just remember that, and I, and I, and I, I don't think it's our listeners largely who are, are doing this, but just, just remember that you know these, these guys are are humans. They're not just athletes, and and things happen sometimes, and and sometimes a, a situation that a guy is in is just 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 doesn't work out for whatever reason, and it, it's it's unfortunate because I really do think DJ Carton had the potential to be a great, great player at Ohio State. And I think he still has the potential to be a great player somewhere else. And it's unfortunate for the Buckeyes that it didn't work out in Columbus. But, you know, I think the best thing the program can do and for anyone to do is is wish him well. The most important thing for him right now is getting his mental health into a good place and, and being able to live a, a happy and healthy life. that That's the most important thing. It's more important than basketball. Ohio State will move forward. They already have started moving forward by bringing in Seth Towns. And, you know, if, if Caleb Wesson leaves, another roster spot will open up. And, and I'd imagine Ohio State will look to use that roster spot as well. But a situation like this, you, you've just got to accept it. And, and, you, and you have to move forward. Yeah, um, I think those are all good points. I think um, like there there are other people who, when they look at the DJ Carton situation, they're like, "All right, well, he, his mom said he wanted to come back. Like he he clearly and and his message it, it made it sound like he wanted to to return to Ohio State at some point." And they're like, "Well, is there is there a bigger story here? Is there something that went wrong?" And from like from what I know, from from all accounts, is like. By far the biggest thing was just the mental health um, of DJ Carton, and and that is why he chose to step away. And like it's worth remembering, like this is something that people do um, normally 
and and people people step away from colleges all the time after their first year because they don't think that they're in the right spot or because just they they need to take a break or or for whatever reason like this is a very common thing that normal college students do and to see someone do it as a college basketball player at at such a high level um i think it to to other people who are going through it can be inspiring um and are there other factors i don't know maybe small ones but the the big piece from from all accounts that i that i know of is is the mental health and and that is that is the reason why he left um ohio state and i think we all wish him the best ohio state wishes him the best and um I'm going to be fascinated to see where, where he ends up because there's no reason for, for any other program to not want to get him on the team because, I mean, I still view him as a future NBA player. With Alonzo Gaffney's situation, it doesn't, you know, there really hasn't been a whole lot of details to surface there on, on what happened there. We know that he left the team late in the year. Initially, Chris Holtman had, had said that he had an illness. And then later couldn't talk about it, and now it's ultimately leading to him choosing to leave the program. Sounds like it's still not determined necessarily whether he's going to transfer elsewhere, whether he might look to turn pro. But what have you gathered there on why Alonzo Gaffney ultimately made the decision to leave the program? Yeah, his one's his is interesting. Um, it's, I mean, he's a guy who, when you think back to when he committed, it was a gigantic deal. It was Chris Holtman pulled the number one player in Ohio from Northeast Ohio, who was a five-star prospect, had offers from Louisville, Michigan State, North Carolina, all these big programs, and Ohio State landed him. And it was a big deal. Um, he was the first one in that class, which was the best top-rated class that Chris Holtman had ever signed. Um Yet, like it was pretty evident early, even before the season started, that like he was a guy who it might he might just not have it all put together right now, and he's also someone who it was also it was pretty evident that he wanted to get to he wanted to become a pro soon, and um, maybe he wasn't physically um, in in the best place, and I think like. It's always hard for me to, to, to criticize certain things about, about athletes, especially young ones who it just seems like they're still trying to figure out where they fit in, in the world pretty much. But like even when like when I would watch him and sort of just warm ups, like he he, he warms up he, I'll, I'll say he was the most interesting guy I've ever watched in shoot around <laughs> because he would do he would do crazy things. like he would just shoot half quarters. He would shoot from. Uh, he would just do random dunks over managers. Um, he was always someone who I just wondered, like, gosh, if he puts it all together, like he's gonna be special. But it just seemed like he's still years of development away, and he's also someone who it just, it, from all accounts, it just seemed like he wanted to become a pro quickly. And like those things, like when you're a program like Ohio State, sometimes they just don't mesh. And sometimes it's just best to go elsewhere. And I just think, in this case, um, I think both parties are probably for the best here. Um, yes, Ohio State would love a talent like Alonzo Gaffney, but even a talent like Alonzo Gaffney last year couldn't really go on the court um, 
very much at all. We've seen it now three times in the last two years. We've seen a guy transfer out after just one year. We saw that with Jadon Ledee a year ago. You know, there's also you know Micah Potter made the decision to transfer right before the season a couple years ago. So I've I've seen some fans on on social media and you know article comments have expressed some concern about that. You know about the number of transfers that Ohio State's had in the past couple of years. Is there any reason for concern there, or is that just modern college basketball? Yeah, I think it's modern college basketball. I think um, I think specifically like the three guys who have transferred. Um, well, I guess four: um, Gaffney, Carton, Potter, and Ladie. I think that they all transferred for generally like the normal reasons that people transfer. Like Micah Potter's was because he wanted to start um, beside. He wanted to start in front of Caleb Wesson, or, or he wanted to at least at the very least start beside Caleb Wesson. And Chris Holtman um, couldn't tell him with a couldn't couldn't. He, he would have to lie to him to say that that was going to happen. So Micah Potter went elsewhere. Um, DJ Carton's situation was mental health related. Uh, Ladie's situation was because he just he was he was fairly raw, um, but he wanted to play a small forward type position, a, a stretch forward type position where Ohio State had him uh, needed him at center, and he he didn't want to play that position. Um, and then Alonzo Gaffney, it just it just didn't seem like a fit pretty early. Um, so I think if if you if you think about each one of those transfers together, I'm 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 not thinking like wow, like Ohio State's really having a problem with transfers. Like hundreds and hundreds of kids transfer from programs a year. Um, I think Chris Holman would Chris Holman said um, I, I I remember last summer saying him him saying that he had been surprised that maybe there weren't. Um, more departures, just because generally in, in the modern age of college basketball, that just happens. And I don't think you look at um, Ohio State. If Ohio State right now had five guys transfer, like we can have a conversation. Like Wichita State right now, if yeah. they've had seven guys transfer, that's, then we're having a real, real, real conversation about the culture of this program. Like right now, it's like these, these guys who are transferring, logically, it sort of just makes sense for, for some of them. Yeah, and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, I think people might look at it as a guy transferring in his first year and thinking, you know, how do things fall apart so quickly? But I, I think some of it goes back to what you said before of it. You know, you do. If, if you look at a re- regular college students, a lot of them do, you know, transfer schools after one year because it's just not the right fit for them. And so I think that that's... Was, like, so did I. Like, I yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not an uncommon thing at all. So I think that's something that... You know, to keep in mind here, but I think, you know, in some cases, it's just not, it's just not the right fit that, you know, that what a guy thinks he's getting into at Ohio State and in Chris Holtman's program might not be the right fit. And I think Chris Holtman is a guy, and I don't think this is a bad thing. I think, I, I think, you know, this is just the way he runs his program. I think, I think Chris Holtman is a guy that does want certain kind of people in his program and he does have certain expectations for guys and and maybe for some guys you know that just doesn't quite mesh with what they want in a basketball program and so you know I, I I think certainly if you're Chris Holtman you learn from it in terms of okay trying to make sure that the guys you bring in in the future are guys that are going to be maybe better fits for what you have but at the same time you know, a DJ Carton situation. Nobody, 
nobody would have seen that coming necessarily. That's yeah. just something that can that can happen. It can happen to anybody. It just happened. And Alonzo Gaffney situation, like you mentioned, that's one that if Ohio State didn't get Alonzo Gaffney, people would have asked why they didn't get Alonzo Gaffney. Yeah, that's so, if you want to. I think that that's the one where if you want to look at the coaching staff and be critical, I think you can in that instance because. From pretty early, it just didn't seem like it was maybe the right fit for, for um, honestly, for both parties. Um, even though Alonzo Gaffney, like you watch him on the bench, like that that guy was always a great cheerleader for the Buckeyes. Um, I was always impressed with just how excitable he was and, and how much during games, even when he wasn't playing, he seemed like he was part of the games. Um, but it just didn't seem like the right fit. Um, as, as a player program from, from the jump. And if you want to say, um, I think you can make a criticism and say, all right, well, maybe like if Ohio State had any of these reservations before, why did they offer him? Why did they land him? But you think back, like this is a guy who was a gigantic get at the time. And if Ohio State doesn't go after him, I do think there would be a bigger part of the fan base being like, does Chris Holtman know what he's doing here? Like, is it, like, what is wrong here? And there's also the part of Alonzo Gaffney where there was like a percentage chance that he came in in year one and was just really good, and even and 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 you wouldn't be able to keep him off the court. And obviously, that isn't the Alonzo Gaffney that that Ohio State had this past season, but. I think that I, I would be. I would wonder if you just gave Chris Holtman a, a truth serum. Like, w- would he take Alonzo Gaffney again, just because of the big deal it was at the time that he landed him as a recruit, and the fact that you know there was still a chance that he was he was going to develop into something really, really um, at at a really high level um, in Columbus. And and I am really interested to see where his career goes from here. I would obviously. It's obviously fun to to see guys develop. Uh, in the United States, so if he didn't go pro, it would be it would be more interesting uh, from a personal standpoint to see him develop at another school. But if he wants to go make money internationally, like go get it. Yeah, and I do think you know it's worth also mentioning. You know, you mentioned you know the fan, what the fan base's reaction would have been if they didn't get Gaffney. I know there was a lot of chatter I saw all season long from fans saying. Why isn't Gaffney playing more? Why isn't Gaffney playing more? And and people just look at the recruiting rankings and think, well, if this guy was a top recruit, he, he should be able to help us. He should make us better if he's playing, right? But the reality is that that's not always true. And and I, and I I think for some of the things that you mentioned, I I think you could see. I mean, even the times when he was out there on the floor, I mean, he, this is certainly a guy that athletically has a ton of potential and and if he oh, de- yeah. if he develops into the player he could be he could be playing in the NBA someday. When 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 I watch him warm up, there is no like there's no better player in the dunk line than Alonzo Gaffney. He's an unbelievable specimen when he leaps. Like when if you walked out on the court and I was like, "All right, you don't know any of these guys, which one's the NBA player?" Like you're going to pick Alonzo Gaffney 90% of the time, if not 100% of the time. But the flip side of that is just because he has that potential, just because he has that athleticism, doesn't necessarily mean he was ready to to play 20 minutes a game yes. for Ohio State this year. And and you know there, there there can be myriad reasons of why that didn't work out the way it did. But I, I 
you know, I, I I've seen it. I've seen it for the past two years of both Gaffney and Ladie, where a lot of the fan criticisms of Holtman were, well, if he had played him more, then they wouldn't have left, which is maybe true, but he's also got to play the guys that he thinks gives them the best chance to win. You can't, you can't just play the guy because he was a highly touted recruit and he thought he was going to play a lot immediately. I mean, that's true for Ryan Day. That's true for any coach in any sport is you've got to play the players that ultimately you believe give you the best chance to win. And I just don't think that Holtman was confident this year in a big game to put Gaffney on the floor. I just don't think that he felt he was ready for that kind of playing time. And, and that might be why Alonzo Gaffney is leaving now. But you know, I, I, I don't think that's a reason to blame the coach, you know, just because, you know, he, he didn't feel like that was a guy who was who was ready to help them win big games at this time. So the other guy, um, we, we obviously hit on Alonzo and DJ. The other guy that we had also mentioned just in passing is Caleb Wesson. I, I expect at least sometime in the near future we're going to get word that, that he's um, heading to, to the NBA, going or at least planning to go through the NBA draft process. The interesting part of that is that there might not be a pre-draft process. Like right now, if, if teams can't have workouts with players, how does that affect guys like Caleb Wesson who – is probably if he stays in the draft would probably be a second round pick, but sure, there's a world that we're in where Caleb Wesson isn't drafted, um, and how would that affect him or his decision? It's it's a little bit hard to know because it's such an unknown right now. Um, but um, I think regardless of, of what happens, regardless of how many workouts he's able to do, whether he's even able to do workouts, I fully expect him to stay in, in, in the draft in Ohio State to move on without him. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's kind of a similar situation probably to where Kata Bates Diep was a couple years ago where, you know, he ended up, he ended up being a second round pick, but it's the whole question of if Caleb Wesson comes back to Ohio State for another year, is that going to help his NBA draft stock? It did this past season because he fundamentally changed his body and changed his game and you know, became a better three-point shooter, became a better athlete, you know, started doing some more of the things that he's going to be expected to do if he's going to play in the NBA. But would another year make him a first-round pick? I'm not sure about that. I, th- I think he'd really have to take his game to another level and, and, and really be a dominant player in his senior year to have that chance to go in the first round of the 2021 NBA draft, and and that's not impossible, and and I and I do think guys, I do think guys really do need to take that into consideration. You know, especially the guys who might be on the draft bubble, they definitely need to think about whether a different draft process this year is something that they want to jump into if they can still come back to school. But in Caleb's case specifically. I don't know that another year at Ohio State is necessarily going to help him. Yeah, and um, to take that one step further, provided he leaves, um, if that happens, then Ohio State would be back to 12 scholarship players, which would mean that they would have an opening for, for one more player. And from, from what I've heard, there are two main possibilities. Um, one, and this is what I think is the most likely um, – what most likely will happen is Ohio State will target a guy who has to sit out next season 
and then will be eligible for for two years. And that guy would probably be a guard who can play some point guard. And and they they reached out to to a number of guys. I know two guys in particular they've talked to are Wichita State's uh, Jamarius Burton and Pitts uh, Trey McGowan's. And both those guys are guys who average about you know ten points, three assists per game. Um, they're not world beaters, but they're guys who could potentially come in and the year after C.J. Walker is gone, uh, potentially start um, and, and their first year being eligible for Ohio State. And, and I think those are the guys, the, the types of guys who they would look at is, is, a, is a sit-out guard. Now, the other aspect is if you look at Ohio State's roster this coming season, you think, well, who's the backup point guard right now to C.J. Walker? And, and at the moment, they don't really have one. So it would have to be Dwayne Washington, um, and then also, um, I know that, that they'll at least give Justice Suing a look at playing essentially point forward at times. Um, how often they'll do that, I'm, I couldn't I couldn't tell you. The offseason's just beginning, but uh, I think that that's something they look at. But if they if they wanted to add another guard, they would essentially have to go get a grad transfer. Um, a guy who they have at least been in some contact with is Rich Kelly from Quinnipiac. Who averaged uh, 16 points and, and four assists, um, obviously at a at a lower level than Ohio State. And you know, like me personally, if I'm if I'm a coach, I, I can sort of see both sides of this because on one hand, if you look at Ohio State's guard picture um, in the year after C.J. Walker leaves, so this is the 21-22 season. All of a sudden, it would be Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad as seniors, Michi Johnson as a freshman, and then hypothetically at least one more guard in that class. But that's a lot of space between the, uh, at least in years, between the guards on your team. And you, as a, as a coach, you would want to have um, maybe a sophomore or a junior in there some somewhere. Um, and and if you get a guy who can sit, who has to sit out a year, that's essentially how you could break it up. Um, but the other aspect of that is what happens if they don't get a grad transfer guard this upcoming year and like something bad happens to CJ Walker and he gets hurt. Are you all of a sudden in a situation where Dwayne Washington is your starting point guard and the backup is, I don't know, justice suing like that seems like a little bit of a dangerous proposition. So you sort of have to, they both have their merits um, at the moment. I think that they're leaning towards a sit one guard, but that could change. Um, for everything I've been told, the, this process is going to be fluid for Ohio State, and um, I expect them to, to take their time and, and see who's out there. Yeah, I think it's an interesting roster compos- composition that you look at for next year because you've got you know, you've got really four guys who are wings in Seth Towns, Justice Suing, Musa Jallo, Justin Arns. You've got three guys who are really shooting guards and. Dwayne Washington, Lufa Muhammad, and Eugene Brown coming in. You've got, you know, three guys who are really power forwards and Kyle Young, EJ Liddell, and Zed Key. But you really only have one true point guard and one true center. And now, like you said before, I don't think that means Ibrahim Diallo is going to start. I think that means that they'll play more small ball if they lose Caleb and Kyle and EJ are going to get most of a playing time at the five. But it, it does make for a different roster. You're, you, you're not going to have that true big man necessarily most of the time. And 
like you said, it, it leaves you in a dangerous position at point guard where other guys who aren't true point guards are going to have to be able to play minutes at that position. Yeah, yeah. there's going to be a lot of time to analyze this, but I do think that um, at least heading into the offseason, they've got a ton of interesting pieces on the roster that you know Chris Holtman is going to have a long time to really figure out how to put them all together. Got a few questions from our listeners that we want to get to before we wrap up this week's show. The first one is undoubtedly going to be the most difficult for me because I'm not a movie watcher. But Silver Sniper has asked us, if you were only able to watch one movie as many times as you like but just for one for the rest of your life, which movie would you choose and why? Colin, you've watched more movies than I have, I believe, so I'll let you go first. I, I would have to imagine that, that I have. Um, Most people have. Yeah. Uh, I would say I, I saw this right as we started recording, and think, thankfully, because this is one of those questions, if I got put on the spot, I would probably just clam up and have no idea. But I gave it a little bit of thought. I would go with The Town. I love The Town. Um, have you seen the town? I feel like that's a. I mean, this Dan, I just, I realized I just went right up to your area where you grew up. You're yeah, a Massachusetts guy. Boston movie, and I know I haven't seen it, but oh. I've 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 heard that I need to see that, and I need to see. Uh, it's arguably Good, my favorite movie. I, I need to see that and Goodwill Hunting and all these other Boston movies. I'm not. I, yeah, I don't know if I'm allowed to drop an f bomb, but God, I really want to drop an f bomb for a quote right now. Probably shouldn't. I, th- I think we'd be okay. I think we'd be okay. I won't. I won't. I won't. I won't. We probably shouldn't in case we set up. I mean, the problem is that we set a precedent that we don't. So if all of a sudden I just drop one out of nowhere, uh, I don't know that that would be awesome. Yeah, and I, I, you know, we got we to gotta keep in mind that a lot of people are quarantined right now. Maybe their kids are, <laughs> maybe is, their kids are listening to this podcast right now. So we'll, we'll keep it PG. We'll keep it family-friendly. For, for those who might be listening with their kids at home, uh, you know, I imagine a lot of our listeners probably usually listen, you know, while they're at work or while they're on the commute, but probably more people listening with their families around. So we'll uh, we'll try to keep that in mind. And if there's if there's anything we can do to to uh, differently to make it more interesting for the kids, let us know. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're gonna become a kids podcast. That's that's what we're gonna. Yeah, do. that I that I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't. I don't have is that, like an, is that an untapped market in the podcasting game? Should we get in there? Maybe, maybe. Uh, we have we have time to be creative, so uh, we'll have to explore that market. In terms of your question, uh, I really don't have a good answer, to be completely honest, because I, I really don't want. If this was you know TV shows or something, I'd have like five potential answers because my non-sports TV watching basically consists of watching like five sitcoms that are not on the air anymore and re-watching the same episodes over and over again. But Okay, well then pick one episode from, from one of those shows. Man, one episode from one of those shows. I, I, the show I would pick is Seinfeld. I think the episode I would pick is The Contest, which if we're going to keep this family friendly, I'm not going to be able to get into a lot of details about the what that episode is about. But anyone who has seen it uh, probably understands why it's a why it's my choice because it's a a really funny episode of Seinfeld so that would be my choice in that regard this is the part of the podcast where we both just talk about shows and movies that the other one hasn't seen (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that that's what we're going to have to do during this time. Colin's going to have to watch Seinfeld, and I'm going to have to start watching some movies. My dad would certainly want me to watch Seinfeld, so there's that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good show. It's a, it's a good show. And I, and I also accept that my TV and lack of movie watching habits are fairly unusual. But Seinfeld is a really popular show. So a lot of people, a lot of people have seen that one. So You're going to have folks in your corner here. Yeah, I, I hope so. I hope so. Maybe not a mo- lack of movies, but I, I do think Seinfeld's a pretty popular show. So hopefully the listeners uh, are approval of that one. Silver Sniper also asked us a football question, which I think is a fun question. He asked us to compare the position groups from last year to this year and and tell us which is the better of the two. So we'll just kind of we'll just kind of rapid fire through these. But starting with quarterbacks. Uh, I'd have to say better. You got Justin Fields with another year of experience under his belt, and you've got much better depth with C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller. So I think that's a pretty easy one. And Chris Chuganoff's family is disappointed in you, but I do I do agree. This is this is the better of the two. Yeah, no no disrespect for Chris Chuganoff, but I, I do think Ohio State's quarterback room, from a talent standpoint, is in a better place this year. Running backs, I. I would go worse because I think when you lose a 2,000-yard rusher in J.K. Dobbins, even with the Trey Sermon addition, which I think brings them closer, you lose a guy like J.K. Dobbins, I think you're most likely going to take a step back. Hard to disagree there. Wide receivers is an interesting one because I'm inclined to lean toward better because I think they brought in so much talent this year. I think these freshmen all have the potential to be stars. And then I think also, you know, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson with another year under their belts could be superstars this year. But they did lose three really reliable seniors in K.J. Hill, Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor. So I'm going to say better, but it's not a confident better. Yeah, I do think that there is something to be said about, like, let's not run away and say that this is third-year Jets and Smith and Jigbun, fourth-year G. Scott. Like, these right. are, like a lot of these guys are still super, super young. That said, yeah, I'm going with better. Because if you're talking third-year Chris Olave, second-year Garrett Wilson, plus the rest of the guys, like, honestly, as long as they have those two guys as the headliners, like, I, think, I, think, I think they're going to be in business this year. Tight ends, I would say better because they bring back their top two from last year. Luke Farrell, Jeremy Ruckert now has a full year of you know real playing experience under his belt, so I think he could be in line for a big year. They did lose Rashad Berry, but he didn't play a ton last year. Um, so I, I, I think they're probably going to be better at that spot. Yeah, I, I agree. Just because their older guys are more experienced, and you think maybe like a Jake Hausman can step into what Rashad Berry did there, and you won't have a... a a significant drop-off at all. O-line's another tough one because I think Jonah Jackson was fantastic last year. I think Brandon Bowen played really well last year. But you bring back Thayer Munford. Hopefully he'll be healthy this year after battling injuries last year. You bring back Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, who now have another year of experience under their belts. And I think they could honestly both be the best players at their position in the entire country. And then the talent that you have vying for those other two spots which could potentially both be five-star recruits whether that's harry miller at left guard and either nicholas petit frere or paris johnson at right tackle i'm gonna say better it's not again it's not a confident better but man i I think that offensive line if, if all goes well it has a potential to be the best offensive line of the country yeah i agree i think um 
I think maybe you can make a case that last year better as slightly better as a run blocking line. At least that's my imagination of how this will play out. But this just better overall. Um, I, I mean, I think this is going to be the best offensive line in the country. Um, now, I think you could have made a strong case that last year's was also the best offensive line in the country. But I'm I'm already ready to say that this is going to be the best this year. So I guess I've I guess I've got to say better. Defensive line, got to say worse. You lose you lose a guy like Chase Young. I think you're probably going to take a little bit of a step back. And then not just him, but you also lose three really good defensive tackles in Devon Hamilton, Jay Sean Cornell, and Robert Landers. So I still think the defensive line will be good, but I, I, I do think they'll be worse. Yeah, no, I mean, you can't lose Chase Young and say they're going to be better. Linebackers is another tough one because you look at all the experience they have. I'm inclined to say better, but... They did lose their best linebacker from last season in Malik Harrison. And I don't know right now if any of these linebackers are going to be quite Malik Harrison in 2020. I, I think, you know, I think, you know, Tough Borland and Pete Werner, I think we kind of know what those guys are at this point. I think, you know, they're good players. You know, Baron Browning's got, you know, all the upside in the world, but can, can he, you know, quite rise to that level? I still think that's an unknown. And, I do think they're going to get those juniors on the field more this year, but does all that make up for a Malik Harrison as, as good and consistent as he was? I lean towards slightly worse. Yeah, I think this is like one of the, the swing position groups on the team because I have an, I have an inkling of what we're going to answer when we get to the secondary. Um, yeah. And um, if, if the secondary and the defensive line are worse – and the linebackers are also worse. <laughs> Maybe that tells you something about whether this defense is going to take a step back or not. If the linebackers can put things together, if Al Washington manages to figure out how to put the best guys on the field in the best positions at the best times, I just think that there's a lot of talent there and a lot of veteran talent. And for that reason, I, I know how good Malik Harrison was, but I'll, I'll go with slightly better. And I say that with reservations because... I, I, like you, I think this can go both ways really easily. I think this is maybe the hardest position on the team to actually figure out this. Um, but I do think I do think Pete Warren can take a little bit of a step forward, and I think that there's a, I think there's four other guys there who I look to, and I think, well, if they're on the field more, and if they're, and if they have more, and if they're upperclassmen at this point, like could could they be put in certain positions and to, to just improve the linebackers and defense as a whole? I, I lean towards yes, and that's that's why I think that maybe they'll be slightly better. But this really, this could go either way, and it could go either way fairly drastically. Like, this, this unit could be really good. This unit could be one of the better ones on the team, but it could also sort of just stay where it is or maybe get, get worse a little bit without having Malik Harrison, and I'm just not, I'm not confident either way. Yeah, and I'll say this for my... Right now, I think the depth will absolutely be better. I think yeah. there's a, I think the starting lineup maybe won't be quite as good. Yes, I think that, that is very fair. And then secondary, yeah, got to say worse. I mean, you lose <laughs> you lose no Jeff argument. Okuda, Damon Arnett, and Jordan Fuller, free guys of that caliber. You're most likely going to take a step back. Great that they have Sean Wade back, but there's still major question marks at those other positions. So I, I'd be really surprised if they didn't take a step back there this year. Yep, yep, I completely agree with that. Final question comes from Jack Kwon Do, which is a, a good username. And he asks, who is your Big Ten underachiever 
and who is your Big Ten sleeper? So start with underachiever. This is totally grabbing the low-hanging fruit. But I'm going to say Michigan because it seems like every single year Michigan gets hyped up as you know, it's going to finally be their year, and I don't know if that's going to happen yet this year because it's so early and there's so much uncertainty. But it seems like every year they get hyped up as, you know, it's going to be their year to take down Ohio State and win the Big Ten, and then they, they always seem to not come close to reaching that bar. So that just seems like the easy pick to me. It's, it's the low-hanging fruit pick, but uh, if I'm going to pick a team that I don't think will play quite up to its potential, I'm going to go with Jim Harbaugh's squad. Yeah, I'll be honest. I haven't really given the whole Big Ten a complete rundown yet, so I, I have a little bit on. But we will, for... we will in the next few months. Oh, though, I promise you that. Yeah, we, we we got time. That is that is on <laughs> our side. Um, but we will, we will probably do a whole Big Ten episode at some point this summer. That, no, uh, who knows? Who knows? We'll have to figure out how to keep this thing uh, keep this thing humming. But when I think. Um, I actually wrote these. I wrote my answers down before the podcast, and right now you're one for one because I also picked Michigan. But it's also like I'm at the point with them where it's like, do we not just know who they are? And who they are is not going to be like a, a top ten team to me. Um, I don't know. I just I they're going to go nine and three or something like that, right? And they're going to lose to Ohio State by twenty. Is is am, is there a reason that I should believe? something else until I see something demonstrably different on the field. I, I just don't know what would lead me to, to believe that. All right, so I don't risk stealing your thunder on the second one. Who's your Big Ten sleeper? I don't even think it's a sleeper, but, but if we're talking about um, maybe an overachiever, like I just think the bar for Michigan State is going to be so low that they're going to have to like get at least one win that no that someone isn't expecting. I just I just imagine that a Mel Tucker's first year there, um, he's going to have zero expectations generally from from teams in the Midwest, and I do think maybe they'll at least show a sign of life that they didn't last year, which would be progress. Yeah, I I, I didn't think we were going to have the same one for this one because I I think I'm going really more of a sleeper here, but. I'm going to go with Purdue because... I was hoping you'd go like Illinois. I'm going to go Purdue because I think you look at them last year. They, they had a bad year last year, but Rondale Moore was hurt for most of the year. Marcus Bailey was hurt. He's not back, but he was a guy they were counting on to play a really big role last year. Uh, they had injuries at quarterback. Just a lot of things that didn't go their way last year. But I think you look at this year, you bring back Rondale Moore. David Bell is another young receiver who really did well last year. I think George Karloftis has a chance to maybe be the best defensive end of a Big Ten. He's he's a really talented young player who I think can be a star on their defense last, last next year. And I think if if they can put it all together, I think Jeff Brom's a really good coach. I'm not saying I think they're going to win the Big Ten West or anything like that, but I think they're a team that you know, like we saw a couple years ago, of you know pulling off a big upset over Ohio State. I think they're a team that could make some noise win some big games and, and emerge as a as a quiet contender in the Big Ten West. I'm sure you didn't just trigger people by saying the words Rondell Moore. No. <laughs> no, I um I, I don't know if people want to hear about him, but yeah, he's a really good player and unfortunately we didn't get to see him last year. The good news, Ohio State fans, is Ohio State doesn't play Purdue this year. They they do play Iowa, but they don't they don't play Purdue this year. So no no trip to West Lafayette on the schedule for 2020, which we hope will stay on schedule 
at we just got to reverse jinx the hell out of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm at the point, you know, to be honest, where I'm trying to brace myself for the worst because, you know, I, I love football. I, lo- I, lo- I love I love football season. This is what we do, and uh, we really want to be writing about football season in September. We really don't want to have to be coming up with random things to. To, to write about and talk about if there's no football season happening. So we're really hoping that football season is going to stay on schedule. More importantly, we're really hoping that, you know, this this pandemic is is going to get better in a timely fashion because this is, you know, upending people's lives all over the country. And, and, it, and it's such a tough situation for everyone to have to deal with. So the most important thing is trying to keep people healthy and save lives. And if if that comes at the expense of football season, we will live with that. We will persevere. Uh, ultimately, decisions need to be made in the best interest of keeping the most people healthy possible. But, man, I really hope there's a football season this fall. <laughs> yes, we'll have to continue to give the caveat of there are bigger things in, in life than, than football, but you know football's pretty cool too. But we will tell you this. We will have another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays next week. We are planning to stay on schedule no matter how long it takes until sports come back. We are going to continue to podcast. We're going to continue to write at 11 Warriors. We're going to continue to tr- try to provide content for you all because uh, we know it's a tough time for you all. We know you're probably... Uh, you know, getting bored, sitting around the house. So we, we hope that we can provide a welcome distraction for you, and we're, we're going to do the best we can. So uh, we'll be back next week. Not exactly sure what we're going to talk about yet. Uh, maybe news will pop up just as it did this past week, and we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll have to get a little bit more creative, but we'll have something for you. So, you know, we hope that you all will continue to, uh, listen to Real Pod Wednesdays, and you know, try to, and you know, hopefully we can take your mind off of uh, some of the bad things for an hour, an hour, an hour and a half, because uh, we we still like to talk about sports, even when there's not as much going on. That's the, that that is the truth, and we will continue to do so. Thanks again, everyone, for listening in to this week's episode, and we'll be in touch soon. <laughs>